but it's, as someone once said, it is, a, it is the Magna Carta of the Christian liberty. Uh, it is a defensive letter, a passionate letter that Paul brought out to the Galatians. So let me give you some, some history here, uh, some background of it. Galatia is not a city in itself. It is an area. It's now called the modern Turkey. Okay? So it's the southern part of, of Turkey, uh, as we call it today, but it was a section or a providence of the land. It wasn't one, it wasn't one city or state. It was a province of the Roman government. Uh, Galatia had, we know of, at least four churches that Paul was writing to because he helped establish those four churches. There was one in Antioch, one in Iconium, one in Lystra, and one in Derba. Derba. That's why I say Deborah, but Derba. Okay. But Paul helped uh, found these churches. He helped establish these churches. The background of this book, it was probably written, Paul wrote it just about the time of the Jerusalem Council, probably just a year before, about 45, 48 A.D., uh, for those who don't understand the Jewish Council, if you read the Acts chapter 15, you'll see where Paul talks about him and Barnabas and Peter and some of the other apostles that were alive at the time. There were some controversies going on, and this may have been part of that uh, in Galatia. And so they called a meeting of all these apostles. And if you, go, you read chapter 15 of, of, uh, of Acts, you'll, you'll get the whole picture of it. But they were called together. They came to Jerusalem and they had a big meeting. And they called it the Jerusalem Council. They had some problems. They wanted to work them out. This is one of the stories or, or the parts of the scripture where Peter and Paul have a little falling out. They argue. They debate a certain topic. But it was written approximately 48, just before that council. Uh, it's a passionate letter. Uh, Paul writes... It's a very uh, immediate letter because Paul was upset. He, he was having some problems with the people in Galatia, in that area, the churches, because there were some Judaizers, false Jewish teachers that had come in and were teaching false doctrine to these churches. Now, Paul helped establish these churches. He helped convert. He, he, he helped he preach to them. And so they were converted under his teaching, and he helped establish these churches. And so when he heard that there were the Judaizers, false teachers, coming in and corrupting them, he couldn't help but write a letter. Uh, I won't get into the verse, but if you'll look at verse 1, where it says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither of man, but of Jesus Christ, and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, he goes on to say, uh, he goes through and gives a, a normal uh, greeting that Paul usually has. Okay? If you go back and look at Romans, in the very first verse, Paul says here, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated from the gospel of God, which he had promised before, afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have, here's where he gets into the part, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. He says grace and peace to you. That's his normal greeting. Same thing in Ephesians uh, or in Corinthians. He goes on. He, he gives his greeting that he's, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He goes on unto the church of God, which is in Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints in every place upon the name of Jesus Christ. But in Galatians, in that first verse, first five verses there, Paul never gives them a commendation. He never says to those saints. He never calls them the sanctified. Let's read that real quick. 
Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither of man, but of Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from the present evil world, according to the will of God, to whom be glory ever forever. There's no commendation to them, calling them saints, or calling them the sanctified, or the glorified. He doesn't say that. This is an urgent letter to them, that he needed to get to them, and he had to get to them fast. Okay? And it was a very passionate. So Paul sent this letter out to them, and he wanted to make sure that they got it. Now, it doesn't say who, who took it to him. He doesn't extend that. So you see the urgency of it. You see the urgency that he needed to get to him. Paul's letter to the church of Galatia, of course, in the region, which is now southern Turkey. Okay, the, look at the events he counted in the book of Acts. We know that Paul visited the southern part of Galatia at least twice during his missionary journeys, and that's when he established these churches. You can go back and read that in Acts. All his information is there. All the, the book of Galatians was written in the days preceding the Jerusalem Council. Soon after receiving the information that these churches were being converted or, or were being uh, uh, infringed or, or uh, uh, polluted, he says that he sent this letter to them so that they would get on the right track again. He was upset with them. One person, one commentary even said that Paul had uh, righteous indignation about those, those people in Galatia. But the book of Galatia, Galatians is Paul's letter to them, and he writes it because he needs to get to them and get them to understand. They're getting ready to, basically the Judaizers came in and started teaching wrong doctrines. Uh, one of those doctrines was not only were they attacking uh, Paul for his position as an apostle, they were saying that he was not an apostle, and if he was an apostle, he was lower than all the others. Okay? But if we look at the first verse, Paul says here, he says, the apostle, not of men, neither by men, but of Jesus Christ, God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Paul has to defend himself, and this wasn't the important part of this letter to him, but he had to defend his position as an apostle, as being taught and trained not by men, but by Christ himself. And he's the only one that was done that after Christ had ascended. The only one. So he writes this letter. He's trying to, he's got to let them know that you are listening and you're paying attention to wrong doctrine. Does that sound familiar? Let me give you an example of what they were talking about. They were coming in there and they were, they were one, uh, attacking Paul on his position, and two, they were attacking the gospel. You, we go to see that when we get down into verse 6, Paul calls it not another gospel that they were presenting or they were preaching to these people, but a perverted one. And here's how they were basically perverted. We'll get into that later some more, but right now I just want to get you that, that background of what's going on. These people were starting to believe, these Judaizers, that they were teaching that not only do you have to believe in the resurrection of Christ to be saved, to be a Christian, but you have to be a Jew first. And you have to follow the Mosaic laws to be a Christian or to then become a Christian. Okay? They were teaching that this justification by faith alone was not true. That it wasn't just Christ's resurrection, his death and burial and resurrection that saved you, and the faith in that, you had to do other things. So they added a plus on to it. Okay? Uh, let's say let's say it's kind of like, uh, well, you got to believe in death, burial, and resurrection, and you got to wear certain clothes to church. They were putting that plus on there. Does that sound familiar? You ever heard anybody teach that, Oh, you need to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but 
you also have to, what? You have to be baptized. That's one. Uh, and they were arguing this. Paul, Paul was, was getting upset with these people. They was telling them that you have to become a Jewish person. You have to follow the Mosaic laws uh, that, and traditions of the Jewish or Judaism, and then you can become a Christian. Okay? And that's not what it was. But they were adding all of this. They were adding the sacrifices back in. Oh, well, you can believe in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ and have faith in him, but you've got to sacrifice. You've got to go to the temple. Okay? But this is the letter that Paul is writing, and he's trying to let them know it's very urgent because they're getting into a dangerous position. A lot of churches today are doing the same thing. They're bringing in the world because, oh, we've got to have this wild music. We've got to have the lights, and we've got to have the sounds and the smoke so that we can draw these people in. Scripture says that the gospel has the power to save, not what we're doing. Give a quote here from, from Matthew Henry on the book of Galatians. He says, That which these false teachers chiefly aimed at was to draw them off from the truth as it is in Jesus, particularly in the great doctrine of justification, which they grossly perverted by asserting the necessities of joining and observation of the law of Moses with faith in Christ, in order to better accomplish their design. They did all they could to lessen the character and reputation of the apostle and to raise up their own on the ruins of his, representing him as, as one who, if he was to be an apostle, was much inferior to others. So they had this design that they, Paul started these churches and they were, were converting that, Galatia was a Gentile nation area, but there were Jews there. And so these Judaizers were coming in and telling these, these Gentiles, you, have to, you can believe and have faith in Christ in his resurrection, but you've got to do all this other stuff too. You've got to, be, you've got to follow the laws of Moses. And that wasn't right. And they did this for two reasons. They, one, they wanted to destroy Christianity. They wanted to go back, everybody should be a Jew, okay? Kind of like what the Catholics did back in the 13th, 12th and 13th centuries. You had to be a Catholic or you, you died, okay? All the way up to 16th. But that's what they were doing. They were, they were creating this, this uh, problem for Paul, and it was Paul's problem because he started these churches. They created this problem for him, but they were also attacking him as his apostleship. He was the only one that Christ ever came to after his ascension. And they questioned that, whether he really saw the risen Christ in their life, whether he was taught, okay? In the first verse, we thought he says, he says, not of men, neither by men. Paul was never taught by any human being. Everything he learned, everything he preached, everything he had in him was a special revelation from Jesus Christ, from the risen Savior. So he, he, he was getting upset with these. William Perkins says, Two things are generally to be considered, the occasion of this epistle and the scope. The occasion that moved Paul to write this epistle was because certain false apostles, and they were false apostles, they were calling themselves apostles, but they weren't Christ's apostles, uh, slandered him both in respect of his calling as well as also his doctrine, teaching that he was no apostle and that his doctrine was false. And by this means, they seduced the churches of Galatia, persuading them that justification and salvation were partly by Christ and partly by the law. The scope of this epistle is in three things. First, the apostle defends his calling in the first and second chapters. And we get into that. First and second chapters are Paul's whole defense of himself. Now, he didn't make that the primary thing of this because it took one and two chapters. But it took the other four for the rest of this. 
for the doctrine. Secondly, he defends the truth of his doctrine, teaching justification by Christ alone, and upon this occasion he handles the greatest question in the world, namely, what is that justice whereby a sinner stands righteous before God? What is it that we must believe that when we stand before God, he can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. To say that I knew you. Those who don't know Christ will stand before God and he will say, I never knew you. Be cast into the lake. But this was Paul's letter. He wanted to get to them and tell them, explain to them that what they are listening to, what they are now bringing in, and they were getting to the point where they were about to do that. They were about to throw Christianity out and go right back to Judaism. And Paul said, we can't do it. We have to uh, go in there and we've got to get it taught properly. It came down to Paul sending his letter and it cast, going through all the churches and making sure that they understood what justification by faith is. Pastor stands behind this pulpit every Sunday and he lets you know what that is. And that's Christ alone. You do not come to salvation in Christ unless you, by the grace of God, through faith, believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because that's only through him. These Judaizers were changing that. They were trying to force these Gentiles to go into Judaism and basically destroy Christianity. And they were accusing Paul of being a false apostle when they, they themselves were the false ones. Okay? We see that today. We have so many of those on TV, don't we? The word apostle has never been used since the last apostle, the real apostle, died. That's the last time. There is no apostle. Anybody who calls himself an apostle is a false teacher. He cannot be an apostle because he has never seen Christ in person. <laughs> okay? So we go on into Galatians, and then some of the things we'll learn from Galatians. Uh, Paul focuses on several things here. One is he focuses on the grace of God. Galatians contains one of the clearest defenses of the doctrine of God's grace in the gospel. The gospel and its benefits of gifts of God's unearned and undeserved grace to us. Paul will defend that to the death. That's one. The second is the justification by faith alone. The doctrine of justification in Christ is central to not only the Galatians, but to all churches, all Christians. And the apostle explains that Jesus became the curse. He took the sins upon himself and hung on the cross so that we wouldn't have to do that. Because we deserved it. He will also uh, go into the doctrine of adoption. We'll get into understanding that. that we are no longer part of this world we are in it, but we're not part of this world. But we are adopted by Christ into God's family. The doctrine of adoption. You will also get into, and we'll, we'll understand that when Paul talks about the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's in Galatians. I think last week I spent, spent, mentioned something about the Holy Spirit and how we receive him and the promise that was given there. But in Galatians, we're going to learn some lessons as well. And I, I gave you a list of here. You can write these down if you want to. If not, and, you know, you can uh, get them out. But here's some of the lessons we may, we may learn. If you don't learn them, you ain't listening. Okay? <laughs> Christians should value the gracious deliverance we have already experienced because of the death resurrection of Jesus. That's one lesson. False gospels must be identified and rejected, no matter who the source is. So when, when Paul was being accused by these Judaizers of being a false apostle, okay, some of the Christians in Galatia were starting to believe that. And Paul will, will see it in, in the book of Galatians, we'll see what Paul is defending that and saying that, you know what, I'm not doing this for myself. 
I had no reason to lie about this because I'm doing this for Christ. But any, any gospel, any, as Paul says, another gospel that doesn't line up with what God, what they have already been taught, is a false gospel. We learn God's call, God calls believers to please him rather than to please man. One of Paul's statements when we get into it will say, am I here to please men or am I here to please God? And he says, I'm here to please God. Okay? That's why he's there. Paul's apostate ministry and gospel come from God. We'll learn about that. Taking a courageous stand for the truth of the gospel is necessary even when others do not. Christ is sufficient for our whole of our Christian life. He is sufficient for everything. Justification is by faith alone, apart from the works of the law. There's nothing in the law. There's no ritual. There's no thing we can do that makes us safe. There's nothing. It's all by God. God does the work. The law of God demands perfect obedience of all men. Are we obedient? We're not. We should be, but we're not. Understanding the relationship between God's law and the promise, we'll learn that. Christians ought to anticipate the fullness of the blessings of the new covenant in the age of the Spirit. We are called to live as sons of God by promise rather than as slaves under the law. Paul says in some of his writings, he calls himself a slave to Christ. And when he says it, it's not a derogatory term. It's not saying that he is, he is in bonds with Christ to the point that he has to do everything this way and that way because God forces him to do it. He does it because he loves Christ. He does it because he loves the gospel. That's why. We are, we are slaves, he calls us. But we are more than slaves. We are adopted into that family. Uh, you're, you know, 150 years, however long it was when slavery was here. When Lincoln allowed the slaves free and the owners let them go, some of them didn't go. You know that? Some of them stayed where they were because their owners were giving them the things they need and treated them well so they said, why am I going to go out there and get all this when I've got it made right here? See, Paul, Jesus gives us that. We are the sons of God by promise. We may be slaves to him, but in a good way, okay? but not by the law. And we have a freedom and a joy in Christ. That's one of the big things Paul will talk about, our freedom. Now, he doesn't mean we're free to go out and just do whatever we want, but... We're allowed to walk through these doors. We're allowed to sit here and listen to the word. We're allowed here to read the word of our own. Okay? So we have a freedom. And we have a joy in Christ. Christians should walk according to the spirit rather than the flesh. He'll get into that. We should boast in the cross of Christ and not in ourselves. If we're going to boast on anybody, JL's up here, let's welcome Rick Jones with the no, 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 no. I don't like that. I'm sorry. I don't like that. Because it's not me. I'm not doing this for me. I'm not doing this to be in front of you. I'm doing this because this is what God's called me to do. And I want to do it. So when you... Hey, <laughs> I, I, I'm here to worship God. I'm here to bring His Word. But we're going to boast. We need to boast in this. And God's word upon that cross, not on us. So we got some time, so we're going to get into the first few verses of Galatians. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Paul was not taught, as I said earlier, he was not taught by any man. He was not trained by any man. If you go in and read the uh, account of Paul in Acts 9 and 22.10, you'll see that when he met Christ on the road to Damascus, he went on into Damascus after Christ said, here's what I want you to do. 
he went in and spent three days blinded by the light. Well, some say, well, he was being taught by such a... No. He was alone with Christ for three days. Blind. Do you know that a blind person has more sense of hearing and touching and smelling than they do their own insight? Their, their, their senses of feel and smell and hear get upgraded because they don't have the sight to see. And Paul did that for three days. He sat by himself talking to God. Or God was talking to him. You also go in and you'll read where he then, when he did receive his sight, God sent a prophet to him and he received his sight. As he says, he tells them, and we'll get into this in here, that he goes into Arabia for three years teaching, preaching, after God taught him what he needed to say. That Paul was not called by men. He, he wasn't ordained by a group of men in a church. He wasn't commissioned by a council anywhere or a mission board. They didn't even lay hand on him. He went out because God said to go out. Christ gave him the commission. God made him an apostle. The two things that make them apostles is one, you saw the living Christ. And he was the living Christ when he got stopped on Damascus Road. That was the living Christ. That wasn't an angel. That wasn't just a bright light. That was Christ himself. And he was taught by him. Paul says, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Now he goes on to say, and all the brethren which are with me unto the church of, churches of Galatia. These brethren that they, he speaks about may have been other Christians in the area where he was at. Uh, they may have been the other apostles. We don't, we're not sure. It doesn't say who they were. Because it was probably around the time that the Jerusalem Council went on, it may have been, one of them may have been Peter, may have been James. And he goes on, after that three years, he comes back from Arabia, and he says that he went into Jerusalem and he saw none of the apostles except James. So these brethren that he's talking about here, they may have been other Christians, they may have been other ministers that maybe he was even training or, or being with. But he says, from them and from himself, he says, unto the churches, plural, to Galatia. He says, grace be to you and peace from God the Father. That grace that he's talking about, grace includes God's goodwill toward us and all the works he does in us. Peace implies all the inward comfort and outward prosperity, which is really needful for us, both come from our God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So he gives them, and this is a normal uh, greeting by Paul, the grace and peace unto you by coming from God the Father. He is a spokesman for God the Father. He is a spokesman for Jesus Christ. We have this, this it, really, it really gets me when I hear the Catholics talk about the Pope as the Holy Father. He's not a Holy Father. He's probably unholy. Okay, but he's not the one. He is not the spokesman for God. Paul was the spokesman. He says he brings grace and peace. Okay, that inner peace. If we don't have the grace, we don't have the peace. Okay, so we have to have that grace and peace. But he says, I bring peace and uh, grace and peace to you from the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gives a quick uh, summary of the gospel. He says, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that we may be delivered. He, he given the gospel, Christ died on that cross. He suffered for our sins. It's very short, but it is the gospel. Right there it is. That Christ died for us. He gave himself. He voluntarily went to the cross. He voluntarily suffered through Pontius Pilate and all that junk. And he died on the cross for our sins. And he says that he might deliver us from this present evil world. 
Now, this, is, this has been a controversial, not really controversial, but it's been an objectable uh, saying that some people, uh, some theologians um, try to give something about. Uh, they try to argue it. But he says this present world, he's not talking about the world we're in, in a sense. He's talking about the age that we're in. Uh, he said he gave himself for our sins, the glory of uh, Where am I at here? Lost my note. Um, yeah, from this present world. In these two verses, Paul gives a short or condensed version of the gospel, Christ's great sacrifice on the cross to save us and to give us eternal life. I'll read my notes because if I don't, I'll mess up. Okay? To deliver us from this present evil world, Jesus came not only to redeem us from the wrath of God, which is what we're being saved from, okay, not from the wrath of God, but from the curse of the law, but from this current or corrupt world. Now, the world we live in here, just as Paul did, was and is evil because of evil men and corrupt sinful natures. And Paul says that Christ died on the cross to save us, not from ourselves, which it does do, but he saved us that we wouldn't be in the wrath of God that we wouldn't have to suffer that. Those who do not believe in Christ, those who are not saved, they will suffer that wrath. God says so. You will suffer it. But he said he saved us from that. And from this present world, okay, from, from all that goes on here, and not just the world or the thing, but the things in it, the lust, the, the you know, we, 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 op- we turn on the TV, we open the newspaper, and what do we see? Everywhere. Just evil everywhere. Okay? We got evil in the White House. We got evil in the Capitol building. We got, it's evil everywhere. We got evil in Russia. It's everywhere. And he says he delivers. He's not physically delivering us from this world, but he's also he's given us that comfort that we can hope and keep our minds focused on him that one day this ain't going to be here no more. We won't be here no more. Okay? Also delivers from the discomforts of this world. He gives us the promise of eternal life in heaven. This is the hope. This is, this is the hope we have. That, and that hope is that, that definite expectation. That's going to happen if we know Christ. He's also going to deliver us from the discomforts of this world. He, he's going to give us the Holy Spirit who is the comforter. We just sang that hymn just a minute ago. He's going to give us that to help us as we continue in this world. And, and we pastor preaches it all the time. If, if, if we are saved and we have some problems going on in our lives, who do we turn to? The doctor? Do we turn to the pastor? Do we turn to our family or friends? No. We need to turn to Christ. And that's what he's mean by he's going to deliver us. Because one day we're not going to be here. We're either going to there. I know where I'm going. I don't know about the rest of you. <laughs> okay. But if you're born again, that you've saved, you believe by grace through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're going to see Christ person. We're going to have. He says he created, he made mansions for us up there. Okay. According to his, God's will, he says, according to the will of God our Father. According to the will. God's will, his sovereignty, has been from eternity. From the day that he decided to create this world, he already knew who we were. He says in scripture that we were formed in our mother's womb, and before that even happened, he knew us even before then. You see, God knew what he was going to do. His will is his sovereign grace. He knew everything that was going to happen, what was going to go on. A lot of preachers would get up there and say, you know, when God says he repents in Scripture, 
Oh, well, he, he made a mistake. He, he changed his mind. Well, he can do that if he wants to. But that's not what he's talking about. He's, he, he's being sorrowful that he even started it. But he knew he was doing it. He, he didn't. Let me rephrase that because they may have made, made the wrong statement. God knew everything that he was going to do and what was going to happen. And he wasn't sorry for doing it. It was part of his plan. But he says, I repent. It was just an inner mind thing that said, yeah, okay, well, this is what I got in plan, but I knew it was going to happen, so we're good to go. He, he, his plan was set forth. But then he gets into verse 6, and Paul says, I am amazed. Now, the word here is marvel. That remind, I read this, and it reminded me of Pastor Edson some years ago talked about this. He said he knew a pastor one time, or a preacher, that got up to preach, and he says, I don't allow my sons, my daughters, my kids to have marbles in the house. You know, what? You know, think, what? He said, yep. He said, Scripture says, I marvel not. Now, he, we take it as a joke, but Pastor Edson said, he was serious. He thought marble was marble. Okay. Anyway, when I read that, that brought back memories. He says, I marvel that ye so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ. He said, I am amazed that so soon after your conversion, which was probably no more than a year, okay, or so, even if that long, that you are so, or you are so soon falling away from the belief of the gospel that we taught you. You're, you. Why are you doing this? He says, I can't imagine it happening. It would be like some preacher coming in here one day and preaching about, you don't have to do this, do that. You can go out and do whatever you want. And then pastor walked in and said, why are you people doing this? R.C. Sproul said one day he was preaching, I heard him, and he said, what's wrong with you people? Why are you thinking this way? This is what Paul is saying. He says, I cannot believe it that you are so soon convert to turning back from what you were taught by not only him, but those men who he left behind to teach them. He said, the belief in the gospel of Christ, that they were believing a bunch of lies by false teachers, those Judaizers. He said, I cannot believe it so soon that you are removed from him, talking about Christ, who called you into the grace of Christ. See that? It's by grace that we come to Christ. Unto another gospel. He says, another gospel. But look into the next verse. In verse 6, he says, another gospel. In 7, he kind of changes his wording a bit. Okay? He says, which is not another gospel, not another gospel. But what they were doing was taking the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ by faith alone and uh, grace alone, and they were taking it, and, oh, yeah, you can believe in that, you can believe, but you've got to do this too. I, I spoke about a while ago when we were talking about this. They were adding those things to them. We have a, I we have a denomination that says when you get saved, you got to start doing what? You got to speak in tongues, or you're not proving the Holy Spirit on you. When you get saved, you got to do this to prove that you're saved. Okay, these guys with these Judaizers were doing the same thing. They were they were teaching that you can believe in in Christ, you can do that, but You've got to go back and, and start doing the laws of Moses. What did Christ say? We're not under the law. Born again Christians, saved, believe in the death, burial, and resurrection by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We are no longer under that law. Does that mean we, we don't have to abide by those laws? Does the Ten Commandments say, Thou shalt not kill? Do we need to abide by that? Yeah. But the laws that he's talking about were the laws that the 
the Pharisees and the Sadducees and these so-called church leaders of that time were creating that added to. You had to do this, or you had to do that. He goes on to say that they trouble you. This is not another gospel, but there is some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. They pervert it. If anybody teaches you, and he says to them, if anybody tells you about the gospel, and then adds to, or, or, or says, well, you don't have to do this part, or you only have to do this to be saved, or however. If they believe that's the gospel, don't believe it. It's like I was talking about last week about the Holy Spirit. You know, we have to discern those spirits. We have to do the same thing with preachers. If we have an evangelist come in here and he teaches something that's different than what our pastor teaches, we need to question him. Okay? We could have Franklin Graham come in here and preach. We could have Charles Spurgeon come in here and preach if he was alive. If he, if he preached different than what Scripture says, I don't care how good a great preacher he ever was. If he's not following Scripture, he's false. But Paul goes on to say, he said that they pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, he talked about him and the other apostles and his other ministers that may have become along, or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than that which you were preached unto you, that we preached unto you, let him be accursed. Paul says, if I come in here one day and I start preaching something different than I told you the first time, I'm accursed. He says, adding to the gospel according to the scripture is corrupt. They're perverting it. We need to rebuke it. We need to refuse it. And Paul had to defend this. This is why he was so impassioned about this. He had to defend this. As they said, uh, by, but though we or any angel, in 1 Corinthians 16.22, let me read that real quick. 1 Corinthians 16.22, you can find it. I should have marked this, but I didn't do it. 16.22, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Cursed. Let him be accursed. There's going to be a lot of people out there, preachers, that are cursed. They're already there. They may be making a lot of money. They may be having a big church. But I guarantee you one day, they're going to fall. Paul says here clearly that anyone, including himself and the other apostles, and even an angel from heaven, should preach to you any other gospel or a perverted gospel to you than that which he preached back when you first got saved, when he first established that church, okay, from the first time, which brought them to repentance and salvation, let them be accursed. Cursed means to be doomed to destruction or misery, separated from the faithful, cast out of the church, excommunicated. We don't use that word a whole lot because the Roman Catholics use it, but that's what it means. Worthy of food. Detestable. Let him be the rottenness of the rotten. That's what he's saying. And he says, including me. Any additional requirements for salvation to, to faith in Jesus Christ, no matter how excellent their credentials, if they twist the gospel into another form, they're under God's condemnation. God will take care of them. God will deal with them. Okay? <clears throat> he will deal with them when it's over with. Verse 9, Paul reaffirms his statement on the perversion of the gospel. In verse 9, he just says it just again. He says, as we said before, 
So I say again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that we ye have received, let him be accursed. Goes on to verse 10, and he says, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be a servant of God. Paul says basically this. He says, am I seeking to approval of man, or am I seeking the approval of God? Of course, he wants the approval of God. That's why he's doing it. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Being Saul, before he was Paul, he was a Pharisee. This is what he was doing. He was trying to please man. Paul was a Pharisee before he got saved, uh, before Christ got a hold of him. And they had to um, do the things that were put before them in the law. Okay, Paul was making, he, he'll tell you that, he, we'll, we'll read that in the next part of this, in the first chapter, Paul says, remember my history. And he gives a, a brief history of his life. He was a Pharisee, he says. He was one that was, even though he was young, he was moving up the ladder. He was getting to the point where he was going to be at one day, he was going to be one of those high Pharisee men up there. And he was even expanding better than people around him at his age. He was getting higher and higher because he was doing things. And he, he says he, he persecuted the church violently. He murdered people. He stood by and held the coats of those who stoned Stephen. So he was... He was doing what he needed to do to move up the ladder of the Pharisees. He was pleasing man. He wasn't pleasing God, though he thought he was pleasing God. That's how they believed. So Paul here states his defense of his position and charges from his opponents that he is not a true apostle. The first and second chapters, he gets into that. From here on, it will be his defense of himself. Now, he uses almost two chapters to do that, but then four chapters to defend the gospel against these Judaizers, these people who were trying to convert or pervert the gospel and, and change everybody's idea of what they thought. This is, this is what Galatians is all about. It's not only the teaching of the gospel and what it's about and the things that we just talked about here. Paul gets into it. This is probably, as that guy said, that one statement, this is the Magna Carta of the liberty of a Christian. Okay? Paul really gets into it. Uh, one person once said, if I'm, I read it correctly, which I think it did, said that this was the, how they call it, the opus, the, 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 the whole basis of the New Testament. Paul really gets into it, and he explains everything. Even though it's a short book, he explains it. But as we get into that, we'll get into more of Paul's defense of himself. We'll get into his history. We'll get into his life story. We'll get into all the gospel that, that goes on here. Okay? But that, that's the introduction to this. That's the first ten verses. We get into the rest of it. Not next week, but the week after that. Okay? Is there any questions? Yep. Well, Romans 1, I was showing you Paul's uh, greeting. Yeah, Paul's greeting. It's the, in, in Galatians, it's a normal greeting that Paul has, just like in Romans or Ephesians or 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. It's the same. Without the commendation of those people in Galatia. In, in Romans, when he says, go down to uh, uh, verse 6, I think it is. Okay, he says, among whom ye also are called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. See, those two, those two statements are He's given a commendation to them that this, this, is, this is a plus for you. You are being called saints. 
you are justified. As he says in Ephesians or 1 Corinthians. Now, he's given them, he's given them that, uh, that encouragement that they are, you know, in Christ and that they are saints. But in Galatians, he doesn't say that to them. He just goes straight from, from me to you, grace and peace. He doesn't give them any commendation of them being justified, sanctified, uh, saints of God, children of God. In, in his normal, in every one of his normal letters, he gives that commendation to them to explain to them they are they are in Christ. They're they're saints of God. They are children of God, or or something of that effect. But in Galatians, he doesn't tell them that because he is very angry with them. <laughs> okay? He, you know, it, it's kind of like you tell your children every day, you're the most wonderful child you can be. You're, you're just perfect. You're, I love you to death. You're, you're, you're doing everything just right. Then one day, they mess up. You say, you're my child, but, <laughs> okay? You don't give them that encouragement. You don't give them that commendation. And that's what Paul does here because it's a very urgent letter for him. It's a very passionate letter because he knows that if he doesn't get them back on track, all four of those churches in Galatia are going to be ruined. They're going to be lost. So that's, that's what that was. That was the explanation of that. Anybody else? Anything else? All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you'll, you'll come back for the next session. <laughs> I, I enjoy doing this. I do this because the Lord, you know, Pastor asked me to, but since the pandemic hit, you know, we've not had anything like this. We've not been able to do Bible studies, you know, or anything. So I, I'm distilled to death to be able to do this. Not for you, but for me and for God, okay? So if we have nothing else, let's go to the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this time. I thank you for allowing me to, to come before you and, and to uh, teach this word. And Lord, I pray that I did you honor and justice. I pray that I glorified you in this. Uh, Lord, I just pray and ask that you would watch over these folks as they go home tonight. Uh, Lord, just uh, be with them this week. Uh, give them what they need. Bless them and all that needs to be done. Lord, we do pray for uh, blessings. We pray for health. We pray for uh, just you being you. We thank you for the salvation that you brought to us. And God, we just ask that you would uh, just help us to understand your word and know you better. We pray this in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. <laughs>